There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Passing Shot Tennis Podcast is not supported by Dominic Team's single-handed backhand. It is supported by all our fans in the Passing Shot community. Become one of them by following us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod to get the latest updates from your tennis catch-up service. And if you like what you hear, why not tell your friends or leave us a rating and comment to share the love. Thanks for listening. Hello tennis fans and welcome to The Passing Shot. Please take your seats quickly ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello everyone and welcome to The Passing Shot, your tennis catch-up podcast. This week on The Passing Shot. In Results Roundup, we look back on a busy two weeks on the ATP and WTA circuits, with eight tournaments including Barcelona and Stuttgart. First player on the WTA Tour to win two tournaments this year, so we've had a range of champions, uh, but Petra Kvitova has kind of steamed ahead and she's now got two titles. In Brits on Tour, we discussed double success for the Skupskis, and Kyle Eppen's performance in Munich, I was quite disappointed when I saw it. I was quite surprised, to be honest, because, as you said, kind of Cudler's not really a player you'd expect to, you know, have that many weapons on a, on a clay court. In Scoreboard Stories, we look at what might just be the fastest three sets of tennis ever played on a clay court. Both players did not play their best tennis at the same time in that match. <laughs> no. <laughs> and they just, like, fell apart in, the, yeah. in like, alternating sets. And in the wildcard, we discuss a range of issues, including Wimbledon updates and Justin Gimmelstrop's ATP resignation. They will probably let him in as a spectator, which I thought was kind of interesting because I know that earlier in the season, we've seen him in the box of John Isner. And as always, you are joined by myself, Joel, aka The Wandering Wildcard, and my co-host, the self-confessed Queen of Clay, Kim, Kim how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. I've got a nice cup of ginger tea and I'm I'm fresh from a visit to the Estoril Open last weekend. So <laughs> Est- actually, Estoril qualifying, wasn't it? Yeah, I went to Collies the first day, saw Dan Evans win. So a uh, bit of British success. Uh, another tournament ticked off my list. So yeah, it was, it was buzzing just to get back in the, you know, live tennis arena making the most of of being in Portugal there's been a lot of tennis in a lot of different countries over the last two weeks I feel like we're pushing kind of how much tennis we can talk about in one episode to the limit and it's also testing my geography because I think we've got (laughs) tournaments to cover in Spain, Germany, Turkey, Hungary, Czech Republic, even, even China and Morocco I think. Well, good job I'm not going to make you get your map out and point to those places. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have so much to talk about. Um, it's been crazy, actually, the last two weeks, hasn't it? So I think mm. we should just get cracking. 
I think we're going to head to Barcelona first, go back a few weeks. Yes, Barcelona, ATP 500 event. Again, another event that in, in recent history has been dominated by Nadal. Um, I think he was an 11-time champion. But this year, Kim, once again, didn't didn't come out as the victor. We had Dominic team become just the fourth player in 15 years to take the crown. Um, the other two players to win the tournament other than Nadal were Nishikori and Vadasco. And yeah, team came out on top in a kind of routine final against Daniel Medvedev, 6-4, 6-love. For me, really, kind of the final was the semi-final when he did face Nadal. And yeah, he came out in kind of, a, in, in I think, what was quite a comfortable, actually, straight sets victory, 6-4, 6-4. And yeah, I think it just kind of cemented his credentials as a, a French Open a French Open favourite. Yeah, he's now won 13 titles, nine of which have come on clay. So when it comes to clay, team is very comfortable and, you know, finalist at the French last year. He's, you know, beaten Rafa again on clay. So, uh, you know, we will certainly look to him as one of the favourites for the French Open. I, I like how you said run of the mill final with Daniel Medvedev as if we all predicted Medvedev would be in the final. <laughs> uh, but yeah, actually, on note on Medvedev, you know, he actually, you know, has had a few great weeks. He got to the semis in Monte Carlo and then, yeah, the final of Barcelona. But both times he um, sort of capitulated quite a bit. So actually in the Barcelona final, he was three love up and then didn't, well, only won one more game. So, uh, and then he kind of had a, a lead in the Monte Carlo semifinal that he lost and then ended up sort of crashing out. So, yeah, he might need to work on his uh, <laughs> ability to maintain performance. But um, yeah, well done, Dominic team, anyway. Uh, Rafa, again, just seemed a bit lacklustre. So I'm not really sure what to expect of Rafa going into the, the Masters, uh, Madrid and Rome. But, you know, we'll we'll leave that for discussing next time round, I think. I mean, I think the final point on Barcelona, I think it was, obviously, I think it was still a kind of step in the right direction for Nadal. I think his... Loss of Fognini in Monte Carlo was a completely sort of different tone. I think his match against team, the better the better player won essentially. Team played some lights out tennis. You know, some of the best tennis I've you know I've seen him play. And I think the kind of the question, the only question he almost needs to answer now is: Yes, I can beat Rafael Nadal in a in a best of three sets on the tour, but can I beat him in best of five sets at Roland Garros? That's a question that still remains to be remains to be answered, and, and maybe we'll we'll get um, an answer on that uh, over the coming over the coming month. Yeah. Also, just a note: another Spanish player, um, Feliciano Lopez, has now dropped out of the top uh, one hundred. Uh, he lost quite early on in Barcelona, which it's notable though um, for the fact that he actually was in the top one hundred for eight hundred and seventy seven weeks, which was the third longest streak in history after Federer um, and also Jimmy Connors. So, um, yeah, he spent 17 years in the top 100 and uh, not had a great run of form of late, but I thought that was quite an interesting statistic that was being kind of thrown around on Twitter. Um, I just wonder if, if he can get back up into the top 100. And also <laughs> another Spanish player, as we, we've mentioned on previous pods, that David Ferrer, you know, due to retire, and he had a, you know, nice sort of goodbye on, on Barcelona, on 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 Pista Rafa Nadal. So, so whilst that that was happening in Spain, in Hungary, the Budapest Open and, and a two fifty event, and we had uh, an Italian, Matteo Berrettini, arrived in Budapest on a five match losing streak on the tour, defeated um, Filip Kranjevic in the final four six six three six one. 
to win the Hungarian Open. Italians seem to love playing this tournament. Um, now back-to-back Italian winners. Cecchinato won it last year. Started a good run of results for Berrettini as we'll kind of get on to this week's uh, tournaments. But um, yeah, he kind of certainly build up, built up some momentum in, in Budapest in, in quite challenging conditions. I watched some of that final and the wind, the wind was absolutely uh, was absolutely crazy. Very hard conditions that the players had to adjust to during the match. And Berrettini obviously was was able to adjust a little bit better than and Kranjevic and, and came out on top. Yeah, I think he's going to be in the top forty now. Um, yeah, as a result of of that victory, a new career high ranking. Have to say, I've not really heard <laughs> too much of him until, you know, in the last couple of weeks. But interesting, he said that uh, last year at the tournament, he he twisted his ankle. And he said that this year he twisted his ankle, although he still managed to go and win the tournament. So in his uh, victory speech, he said that he hopes to go back next year and not twist his ankle. So <laughs> seems maybe he's quite a clumsy, <laughs> a clumsy <laughs> player. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, well done to Matteo Berrettini. So that was the men's tournaments from, well, not last week, the week just gone before that. And we also had a couple of women's tournaments on the WTA tour. So we had the WTA premiere event in Stuttgart. And Petra Kvitova claimed that one. Uh, she's actually the first player on the WTA tour to win two tournaments this year. So we've had a range of champions. Uh, but Petra Kvitova has kind of steamed ahead and she's now got two titles. Um, she beat Annette Contivate 6-3-7-6 in the final. So she's now back up to world number two. And, you know, she's only a handful of points behind Osaka. So kind of going into Madrid, you know, it's going to get interesting with a lot of pressure kind of, you know, for the number one spot. Um, I mean, Kvitova is actually defending Madrid, so it might not happen quite so soon, but we'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, Kvitova was in fine form all week and, uh, you know, was pretty pretty straightforward in the final to claim that one. Interestingly, Contivate, she actually was uh, due to play Osaka in the semi-final, but Osaka withdrew. So, and uh, she'd also had a retirement by Azarenka in the quarterfinal, so... Perhaps a bit of luck for Contivate to get um, to the final herself. But, uh, you know, again, a good week for her uh, getting to the final because she's not, you know, we've seen a bit of her on the tour, but she's not kind of yeah. someone you would expect to be getting to a premier final every week. And then we also had uh, the Istanbul tournament that week where we had Petra Martic defeating Marketa von Drausseva, 166461, to get her first title. So actually, I thought Martic would have won a WTA event before, but um, she's kind of claimed her way back up in the rankings. Uh, she's 31 uh, back in January on the rankings, so she's kind of at her sort of career best this year. And she, um, yeah, claimed claimed the title. She actually had a really terrible back injury a couple of years ago, so she's sort of back up there. And also of note, Van Drausseva, you know, she'd had a really good run of form lately with some quarterfinals, um out in the sunshine swing and also reaching the final back in Budapest. So again, you know, she's she's in a good run of form. So these are all kind of players, you know, we should be wary of going into the into the rest of the clay season and Roland Garros. I don't think you want to have Petra Martic like in the first round of Roland Garros, um, to be fair with this kind of Yeah, thing. a lot of these a lot of these players who are getting to the finals of these kind of um 
lower graded tournaments i feel like the the big players are like come on make sure you get into the the seedings for the yeah so you can avoid them yeah yeah they'd have to face you in the first round because uh yeah they're definitely some kind of dangerous players on the women's side and on 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 the men's side um kind of putting some good results together that yeah top 10 players will not want to be facing come Roland Garros yeah, we also had uh, slightly an anom- anomalous tournament out in China as well two weeks ago. It was a WTA 125K event. So it was the Anning tournament. Um, and actually it was all Chinese uh, final with, I apologise in advance for my pronunciation, Zheng Saisai um, defeating Zhang Shui. 6-4-6-1 in the final. Um, interestingly, it was... World number 43 against world number 42. So perhaps the most equal final you might be able to get. It was their first meeting in five years. So we had Zheng Shasai winning that one. I'm sure Chinese fans were delighted to have, you know, an all Chinese final and victory. So again, some kind of names that I'm not too familiar with. So again, players to look out for Mm. um, in the rest of the clay season. And kind of moving on to this week, back in Europe, we had on the ATP side, we had tournaments in Estoril and in Munich. So let's start in Estoril in Portugal, Kim's Kim's location My at new favourite tournament. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a great um, tournament for anyone planning on going. It's like a train ride from Lisbon. So I would definitely recommend it to anyone who's thinking so, of so, uh, we it. Had, um, we had the we had the final between... Stefanos Sissipas and Pablo Cuevas literally finished about uh, an hour before we, we've started to record this episode with Sissipas coming out on top 6-3-7-6 for his first clay court title. And rather amazingly, actually, um, we'll get on to kind of the Rabat Open in a sec, but uh, it's the first time in professional tennis history that um, Sissipas, well, there's going to be two Greek champions on either side at the same time with Sissipas and um Sakari but yeah a good a good win for Sissipas puts him on track for for the clay season with the you know with the Masters events coming up back to back Cuevas as well he came into the tournament as a lucky loser so to get to the final was great for him um I recommend to all our listeners uh, there's an absolutely amazing point in the final that's on Twitter at the moment uh with Cuevas doing a tweener drop shot from like the middle of the court, but the ball bounces on the up. It's a tweener you don't see very often, so I recommend <laughs> going to going to check that out. We'll probably put it on our we'll put it on our Twitter page so you can have a look. So uh, if you want to have a look, go head over to at Passing Shot Pod on Twitter, and it'll, and it'll be there. Yeah. So um, I saw Quavas playing in qualies like a week <laughs> oh, ago. You? Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, there you go. And also, I saw interestingly a bit of Alejandro. Dadiv, I can't say his name, Dadidovich Fokina, who reached the semi-final and lost to Quaver. So that was, you know, two guys from Collies getting to the semis. Um, so he's like a young up-and-coming Spanish player who was the 2017 Wimbledon Boys singles champion and number two in juniors. He's a, he's kind of in the 160s of the world at the moment. Um, but yeah, I saw him and he was hitting very impressively when I watched him play in quali so you know another name to look out for he um i i I've, he was playing bjorn fratangelo in the quali match that i saw and um i didn't know who fakina was so i thought the one i was watching was fratangelo to start with 
basic rookie error because I'd not really seen Bjorn Fratangelo play. And I was like, oh, Bjorn, that's like a Swedish name. And Davidovich Fakina, it's like, I don't know, to me, he looks Swedish. Like he's very blonde. I feel like we're going to have to shorten his name. If, if he if he starts winning Masters events or he becomes a name for the future, we're going to have to almost do a, we're going to have to do a Batista Agut on him and, and call him a ADF. But uh, yeah, he had a, a great tournament, great run to the, the semifinals. And also, speaking of great runs, we had um, David Goffin as well get to the get to the semis. I, I think he took out the reigning champion in Zhao Sousa in the first round. Um, but he's obviously on the injury comeback trail. So it's great to kind of see him play some really, really good tennis. And that, that match against Sissipas in the semifinals was a, a really good tussle, um, really high quality match. So, um, yeah, it's it's good good signs for Goffin as well. Yeah, because he's been so out of form, hasn't he, like recently? So he's kind of getting back, peaking at the right time, maybe. So that was Estoril. And we also had a 250 in Munich as well. And we have possibly the new clay court specialist, Christian Garin from Chile in his breakout season, Came into this ATP Tour season with just one match win, and he has now got two titles. He defeated Matteo Berrettini 6-1-3-6-7-6 today to triumph, um, and yeah, gives him his second title. He beat Alex Zverev earlier in the week uh, in front of his home crowd. I think he saved match points um, in that match. So yeah, he's 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 developing this kind of this uh, label that he's almost a very clutch player because he's you know defeating players after being match point down he's winning final set tie breaks so yeah a very exciting player and a very dangerous player on the clay court because I believe that he's won 19 ATP matches and all of them have been on a clay court yeah I know I mean he's gonna be number three 33 in the rankings um when this pod goes out so uh I guess again we're going to want him to be seeded at Roland Garros but he's he's had a yeah hell of a clay season finalist in Sao Paulo he won Houston uh what fourth round in Barcelona and then yeah winner of Munich interestingly though as well when that match against Zverev someone put this out on Twitter as a reminder um as if we'd all forgotten um, it was actually a repeat of the junior Roland Garros final in 2013. So I thought that was a, a nifty fact. So, uh, yeah, thanks for whoever put that on Twitter. But, um, yeah, great stuff for Garrett. And I'm, I would like to see him play live, actually. I'm I'm quite excited to, to see a bit of him. So, I mean, I don't know what it's going to be like when on grass he could just collapse, you know. <laughs> he's very specialist to clay at the moment. I, I definitely think he's in that category of, players you don't want to face in the early rounds because he's got a lot of momentum at the moment and and to be fair I think you put Berrettini in that category as well I think he was on a nine match winning streak nine match winning streak going into that final he played a lot of tennis I think he had actually uh he had to play his semi-final on the day of the final as well so yeah so not ideal but uh, again another kind of player you know he's almost kind of channeling Cecanato Cecanato from uh, last last season and um yeah he's kind of carving out his own highlights on on clay so uh, yeah two players certainly to watch in Madrid and Kim we had uh yeah we had a couple of other women's tournaments as well this week didn't we We did we did so we had a Prague WTA international event 
which um, was won by someone unexpected, Switzerland's Jill Teichmann, who was world number 146. And uh, she was a qualifier. She won eight matches in eight days to win her first WTA title. And she, yeah, she's the lowest ranked WTA champion this season. So played a hell of a lot of tennis. She beat Karolina Machova um, in the final in three sets, 7-6, So well done on Jill Teichman. I'm not going to lie, I haven't seen her play before. So it will be interesting to see if this is just like a one hit wonder almost, or if she can maintain some of the form. I mean, she came through, she came through qualifying eight matches in eight days, eight victories. And I, I noticed actually Kim in her, in her main draw appearances, all her matches bar one were all were against names ending in over. Well, Round- Round yeah, one, that's not she, hard in the women's tournament, is <laughs> no. it? <laughs> round one, Alexandrova. Round two, Kuznetsova. And then in her quarterfinal, Kopach. And then in the semifinals, Strichkova, Strichkova. And then, yeah, Muchova in the final. So, um, yeah, very good effort to, to do to win from qualifying. Not easy to do. Karolina Muchova. She was a wildcard at her home tournament. Uh, So she did amazing to get to the final as a wildcard. But um, Lucy Safarova, who is kind of soon to retire, was actually given, offered that wildcard for the tournament for the singles. But she declined it so Machova could, uh, you know, use it instead because she said, uh, you know, Machova's a young up-and-coming player, so it's only fair that she should be given the opportunity. So I thought that was a really nice... A nice note. <laughs> um, she made the most of it as well, didn't she? Yeah, exactly. So she proved, yeah, she proved everyone that the wild card was definitely the right thing to do for her. Um, and then, yeah, we also had a tournament out in Morocco in Rabat. And as you mentioned, we had a Greek champion there. So Maria Sakari, who, again, you know, she's been kind of on the rise, you know, um, Greek tennis is doing really well with her and Tsitsipas of late. But this was actually Sakari's first WTA title. And she was the number six seed. British uh, interest here. Johanna Konza reached the final. Um, she was the seventh seed. So, you know, it's a very close matchup. Um, and annoyingly for British fans, Konza fell. Yeah, 2 6 6 4 6 1. Um, Sakari got the final. So, um, yeah. Two Greek champions in one week. And actually, Sakari, you know, had beat uh, Mertens along the way, Alison van Utvenk. So she'd had some good results. But Johanna Konter, just a note about Johanna Konter, she had a really excellent week. I mean, it was her first clay final, I believe. And she almost went out in the first round because she was playing uh, Wang Yafan and she saved three match points to come back and win that one. And then she had another hard-fought win over... Anna Bogdan in the second round and then Sue Weishway and then Tom Lanovich. So she had some really tough matches along the way. And, you know, it was it was frustrating because I was following the scoring in the final and, you know, 6-2 first set. I was thinking, oh, come on, Joe. And then it was, you know, it was not to be. It really fell away from her in the last set. So, um, but yeah, that's that's positive for, for British fans, for Conta. So it's nice that we've got, you know, some British success. Um you know, on the, on the clay. Would you like to be on the passing shot? We're looking for tennis fans who are going to any upcoming tennis tournaments on the ATP and WTA tour to tell us about their experience. Interested? Message us on Twitter or drop us an email 
on passingshotpod at gmail.com with your name and the event you're going to and we'll be in touch. And that kind of brings us on to Brits on Tour, where we'll kind of look at all the, the British players in action on the tour. So obviously we've just covered Johanna Conta. Uh, Kim, who else Who else are we going to be, be talking about? Well, let's start with the singles because not not the greatest runner form, apart from Conta, who's the exception. Uh, Cam Norrie, he was playing Barcelona, lost first round to Albert Ramos. Carl Edmund, you know, who we've come to expect good things of, um, you know, especially on clay. He was playing Munich, but lost in the first round in straight sets to the well-known clay court specialist, Dennis Kudler. <laughs> I saw that result and I was kind of, I think, yeah, I looked at it. It was quite a routine, it was a routine scoreline. I was quite disappointed when I saw it. I was quite surprised, to be honest, because as you said, kind of Kudler's not really a player you'd expect to, you know, have that many weapons on a on a clay court, but um, yeah, it seems Edmund seems to be kind of suffering from indifferent form at the moment. I know he's kind of gone through a bit of, a, um, you know, has had an injury recently, but um, yeah, he's he needs to find out what kind of you know is can get him back to that you know to back to where he was this time last season, kind of riding on that high from you know the Australian Open. I know he's only won one match in this clay court season so far, which was in Marrakesh um, against Ugo Umber. So, you know, he's gone out early in Munich. He um, lost in Monte Carlo to Schwartzman in his first match. So it's not great. Um, I don't really know if it's, if it's just kind of, he just needs to get a few wins under his belt. Maybe he should go and play like a challenger. I don't know. Um, I mean, it's a good shout because he did that in the in the build up to Indian Wells, I think. Yeah, on the hardcore and, and won, it, and won it, I think, or he got to the final. So maybe there, you know, maybe there is an argument um, that he should, you know, be going, maybe looking to do a, a challenger just to get some, you know, match wins under his belt because, yeah, he needs to start putting consecutive match wins together to get some form to get some momentum into uh Roland Garros but you know with Madrid and Rome coming up let's kind of wait and see uh to see you know to see how he does um I did like that I saw him on um social media he was training after his loss I think even that evening so you know I think he knows what he wants to do and he's trying to put it right but um you know he's just not quite it's not it's just not quite getting there at the moment not quite gelling. Um, Dan Evans, he was playing Estoril. So he um, he he won his first match on clay in over two years um, against uh, Italian player Justino. And I was at that match. Um, I thought Dan played fairly well, actually. Um, he lost in the next round, but, you know, um, it's good to see Dan back on a clay court. So, and there was, yeah, a few British fans there. So it was nice to uh, to be able to cheer him on as well. And then actually we had uh, Liam Brody um, in the Leon Challenger final. Um, he lost in three sets in the final to Blaz Roller of Slovenia. And actually James Ward um, lost out to Brody in the semifinals of that. So, you know, some, some British kind of, some Brits going deep in a challenger out in, out in Leon um, as well. 
in recent weeks. Um, but as usual, perhaps, um, British success comes in the form of our doubles teams. So uh, Neil and Ken Skopsky, they um, have won the Budapest Open um, for their second team title. Uh, they beat Marcus Daniel and Wesley Kulhoff. And uh, yeah, great win for the Skupskis. They've actually made four finals uh, over the past 10 months, but had lost each one. So finally, they managed to clinch, um, clinch one out in Budapest. So great victory for them. And then actually, Jamie Murray, he uh, reached the final with Bruno Suarez of Barcelona. Losing, um, losing? that's not even a word, losing out to Cabal and Farah. And then Joe Salisbury with his partner Raven Clarsen reached the semis of Barcelona. They lost to Jamie and Bruno. And then we also had Luke Bambridge and Johnny O'Mara. They um, they did fairly well in Budapest getting to the quarterfinals, but they actually reached the final in Estoril uh, and just lost out today to Jeremy Shardy and Martin in two tight sets. So really good form for the doubles pairings. Um, so, it, you know, again... It's all, it seems to always be the doubles doing better than the singles players at the moment, but it does just show you that like we've got some great, great pairings. And I really wish they would get more credit, you know, in the British press because, um, you know, they're doing great work on the tour. So that wraps it up for Brits on Tour. And moving on to Scoreboard Stories, Kim, I want to tell you about what people are talking is potentially the fastest three sets of tennis being played on a clay court, it happened in Madrid. Madrid qualifying between Amanda Anisimova and Marta Kostuk, two rising players in the women's game. People were expecting big things in this match and they delivered an absolute masterpiece in terms of the score scoreline. We got a very rare 6-love, 2-6, 6-love Kostuk victory with <laughs> the total time for the match, and bearing in mind this is three sets on a clay court, one hour, nine minutes, 39 seconds. Gosh, <laughs> that's like the length of one set in some matches. <laughs> I mean, I feel like Nadal versus Pella in Monte Carlo, the first set in that was like all of that time, if not a little bit more. It was uh, it was <laughs> pretty special. It was um, pretty special scoreline. Well, I assume neither player, well, both players did not play their best tennis at the same time in that match. <laughs> no. <laughs> and they just like fell apart in the, yeah. in like um, alternating sets. Like, Yeah. So oh, what wow. we'll do is we'll, we'll put that glorious scoreboard on our Instagram page. So if you want to go have a look at that, it's on our Instagram channel at Passing Shot Pod. So you can go look at there, give us a like, give us a follow. Another kind of couple of interesting interesting stats I also have for you, Kim. One is from the men's tour. So we had Nicholas Yarry and Pablo Cuevas. Now, we mentioned Pablo Cuevas earlier was a lucky loser in Estoril. And he actually lost in the final round of qualifying to the uh, Italian Salvatore, Salvatore Caruso, who... We both bonded over, didn't we, in the Australian, <laughs> Australian Open? Yeah, it's your second favourite player after Malik Jaziri. <laughs> um, lost to him um, in, in final, I think, in the final round of qualifying, uh, but got in as a lucky loser into the main draw and then beat Caruso in the 
first round and then yeah got to the got to the final so <laughs> and the classic kind of losing qualifying beating main draw yeah. switcheroo um, as you do <laughs> and and I actually do love the, intricacies the, the, of that. the week before um this has happened in consecutive weeks because nicholas yari did the same thing um with marcel granolas so lost to granolas in qualifying and then yeah, avenged his uh, defeat and, and made his way through to the quarterfinals. So, yeah, so that was in, in Barcelona. So uh, just very kind of interesting. You don't hear those sorts of things happen very often. See, too. But it obviously shows that they take on the the coach's feedback after those <laughs> defeats to, you know, the coach must be really pleased. Like, oh, yes, you've done what I've said. You've managed to beat them. Yeah. And, so. and it, it, it's just like London buses, isn't it? It's like they never happen and then two two come along at once so uh yeah so you've got your yeah you've got two you've got your two losses in final final round qualifying leading to first round main draw victories against the same opponents so great stuff there um and the final thing i wanted to bring out was uh, a a bit more niche but um indy devrum channeling her inner sara irani uh hit 30 double faults in her round of 16 match in the, I think it was in, 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 in the ITF event in Antalya, I think. Um, and she came out, she came out with the victory despite hitting 30 double faults. So, so um, what was her opponent doing? <laughs> I, I don't, yeah, don't know. Well, if Indy Devroom ever, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've never heard of Indy Devroom. I quite like the name, name though. It's pretty name. cool. Yeah. yeah Indy Devroom. Um, I feel like she should be a cyclist, though, or something. But um, <laughs> I don't know. It's like vroom, vroom. <laughs> or a motorsports uh, racer. But, um, well, I love your um, your random trawling through of ITF statistics, Joel. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, exceptional. Well done. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that brings us on to the wild card now, where we discuss all and sundry from the world of tennis. Lots to talk about. Uh, lots have happened um, off court as well as on court in the last few weeks. Um, first of all, WTA, um, WTA, WTFs, World Tour Finals even, getting confused with my acronyms. Um, the World Tour Finals have been in London for, well, what seems like donkey's years now. They are finally moving from London to Turin in Italy, who, um, yeah, from 2021 to 2025, Turin has been named as host of the event and um, they were actually competing with Manchester, Singapore and Tokyo Uh, but they obviously I'm assuming paid the most amount of money to get them uh, to move to Turin Uh, but interestingly uh, we heard on the sort of Twitter sphere that the Labour Cup might then be open to the idea of perhaps coming to London to utilise the O2 Arena once the ATP finals have gone to Turin. So, you know, it might not be the end of tennis for the O2. I'm curious to see what the next step is for the O2 Arena in terms of, you know, will it get another tennis event? Won't it get another tennis event? You know, I'd love to have the the Labour Cup there. I think there's also been chat of whether the Hotman Cup could go there. Um, so Or... It- the WTA finals would be great as well. Um, if they ever move from, I think they're in, well, they were in Singapore and they, but they've moved to, they're moving to China, I think. I think they've obviously shown what a great event they can put on at the O2 Arena with the World Tour finals. So 
you know, it makes sense for kind of other, you know, team events or, or tennis tournaments, even even if it's exhibitions, kind of look at that as a venue, given the, the past success there. Yeah, sure. Now, we've got two more years of World Tour Finals to enjoy in London. So I would like to get along at some point to say my farewells because, it, yeah, it's been a great venue. So uh, it will be missed, but perhaps a, a trip to Turin will be on the cards as well. Yeah. Um, and so moving on to our next point in the wild card uh we've got to address the issue of justin gimelstob which seems to have been going on forever and a, and a day well he has now announced his resignation from the atp and i think he's also announced his resignation from the tennis channel as well um he i think there's been quite a lot of updates in the last kind of couple of weeks on his case for kind of listeners who aren't kind of uh, versed in, in what has happened. Um, Justin Gimmelstob has pleaded a no contest to an LA court um, to a felony battery charge. Now, I think what this basically means in layman's terms is... Uh, he beat someone up. Yeah, and, and no contest basically says that he's he's guilty, but he avoids a prison sentence, I think. Yeah, he got three years probation and 60 days of community labour. Um, but the judge specifically said to him, if you plead no contest, you know, this will be taken to to mean that you're pleading guilty effectively. So so I think there was a lot of kind of debate on, you know, yes, Gimmelstop did resign, but was it more of a, you know, doing it on his own accord before him being sacked by the ATP? Or, um, you know, yeah, did he felt, you know, did you feel like the you know the fatal the fatal blow was coming and kind of you know, almost kind of did it did it himself yeah did it himself so um well i think you know he he buckled under a lot of pressure from you know from people coming out and saying you know he has no place in tennis like obviously andy murray came out and said i don't see how he can hold down a position of authority at the atp uh stan Wawrinka, as well as being very vocal, he's put a letter in uh, an open like letter in the Times that was published, um, saying it simply cannot be possible for anyone to condone this type of behaviour and support it. Um, so before, and that was you know um, before Gimmelstop resigned, there was so much sort of pressure on on him to do so. And I think the fact that he wasn't immediately resigning for me just seemed like he had a complete lack of like. I don't know, humility or, or respect and was just sort of trying to brazenly kind of continue to the very end um, and maybe didn't realise the full extent of, you know, what he's done outside of the tennis world and, and the impact that that would have. And we've seen with Gimelstob announcing his resignation that players are coming out and giving their own kind of two cents. As you alluded to, Sav Wawrinka's has written a letter in The Times addressing it. Andy Murray has come out and said, you know, I don't see how he can hold down you know, position of authority in the ATP. And not only players, we've had the, the Grand Sams as well also come out with their own kind of stance on it. I think the most uh, pointed stance uh, has come from Wimbledon, who've said that he won't be able to play the Veterans Tournament this year, but they will probably let him in as a spectator, which I thought was kind of interesting because I know that earlier in the season, we've seen him in the box of John Isner, so I wonder, yeah, Wimbledon, could he be in the box of John Isner? That, you know, remains to be seen. So I think that there are kind of 
still kind of consequences to be played out and, and ramifications. And I think, you know, we've got kind of people kind of having their own viewpoint, but kind of more immediately, we've now got to have someone, you know, to fill his position. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, well, we've got because he he's the rep for the Americas region. So I does that mean it has to be an American or I assume it has to be someone from North America? But Tim Mayotte, who um, was a former ATP seven in the world Olympic silver medalist, two time slam single semi finalist, um, and actually a former player council president, he has been kind of well, he's officially I don't know going for the seat. So um, he's, he's obviously got form, he's got experience in in that role. So he might be a, a better bet. Uh, well, I'm sure anyone can be a better bet, but um, but Brad, Brad Gilbert's also rumoured to be running. So it will be interesting to see who will be chosen to replace Gimmelstor. I think, you know, there's a lot of hoo-ha at the moment about the player council and, you know, what with Chris Commode sort of being ousted. There'll be a lot of changes um, in that sort of level um, of the tour. So I think they've got to think long and hard about who would be the best person for the job and there's definitely going to be a spotlight on this position more so than I think you know there might have been previously given you know the controversy surrounding it so I think I think a good kind of popular a popular figure that is well respected I think someone like Brad Gilbert you know that is it's quite interesting because he's had obviously quite a varied career in tennis obviously being a player a coach um, in punditry as well, you know, for the for tennis channel. So, you know, I think there's probably going to be a lot of candidates, and it'll be kind of interesting to see, interesting to see how it plays out. But uh, moving on, we had our annual spring statement from Wimbledon itself, where it kind of covers all of the changes and updates that are going to happen to this year's championships. Um, there's there's quite a lot quite a lot of them um so, so many kind of rattle, yeah <laughs> we'll rattle kind of through them and kind of address kind of the, the the biggest ones so uh they've increased their their prize money which you know i feel like every grand slab does this every year so it's it's total pot is now up to, up to 38 million from 34 million there's going to be a change in roof protocol so um i think there were lots of eyebrows raised after the kind of Nadal Djokovic semi-final last year when they played under a roof in in broad daylight so they've come out and said that matches not completed by the 11pm curfew will resume the next day in daytime conditions um there's going to be no shot clock (laughs) (laughs) there's going to be no shot clock so it's probably an inevitability but won't be installed for this year's uh championships um as we kind of a spoke about um in a a few episodes ago the ballot system will be going from a postal system to a digital online system for the 2020 championships uh court one will have a roof which is great um and uh yeah will be available to be used i guess in a similar way to center court um and having being able to play on it when weather (laughs) <laughs> when the weather when is the weather's not so, that... so nice which is great <laughs> for people who have camped and queued and then you know if they get caught one and it rains and you're pretty stuck um i think they're having like a a test event on the 19th of may as well with uh like McEnroe, navrasilova ivan Isovich, and leighton hewitt so they're doing like a charity a charity thing i think they did that for the center court roof if i'm not 
mistaken. But um, yeah, so we have we have two roofs now, which is good. For fans as well, uh, it'll be important to note that um, play on the outside courts has been moved forwards uh, by, sorry, yeah, moved forwards 30 minutes to 11 a.m. Um, there's going to be a quad wheelchair singles and doubles uh, tournament uh, introduced and the ladies qualifying singles draw will be increased from 96 to 128, which will be in line with the gentlemen men's uh singles qualifying draw so yeah lots of stupid (laughs) that it wasn't already the same I'm like that's just reducing the chances for for female players so I I'm very glad about that one that it's now the same um although interestingly there won't be any qualifying doubles events I guess because they won't have the capacity for everything um also they are now going to remove plastic bags from the player racket stringing operation at Wimbledon and apparently all bottles will now be 100% recyclable and recycled so you know um important environmental improvements as well um one thing I also saw on Twitter um this is a something that Transport for London have done they've banned uh the Wimbledon strawberries and cream adverts from the uh from the London underground because it contravenes the advertising rules for um like uh, foods with a high fat content from being advertised. So the cream is is deemed to be, you know, dangerous and it's going to obviously going to make everyone start guzzling gallons of cream uh, when they see the, the Wimbledon advert. So I thought that was a bit like overdramatic, but that, you know, opens up a whole other kettle of fish. But I was, uh, yeah, thinking, oh gosh, um, when I read that one on, on Twitter. Um, also, we've got some other updates about other tournaments. So... Queen's Club, one of the, you know, famous build-up tournaments to Wimbledon. Um, they're going to be doing an under-18 team event um, in honour of Paul Hutchins, um, which is the late father of Ross Hutchins. And they're also introducing a wheelchair tournament, um, which is going to be a, a full-on wheelchair tour event uh, with ranking points. So that's good because since they changed Queen's and made it a uh, 500 from a 250 there's way less action on the outside courts for fans so hopefully this will be you know a bit extra um you know for fans to fans to kind of get their teeth into as well when they attend um and also we've got a new ATP challenger um going up to Glasgow which is going to be named the Murray Trophy and that's going to be taking place in September as part of a new kind of an expanded uh, tournament being staged by the LTA this year. So I think that's fantastic because, you know, it opens up tennis at a different time of the year and a different location in, in the UK. Um, and I mean, Glasgow is a great, great location for, for tennis. Obviously, there's been many like really good Davis Cup ties up there. So I'd like to see a lot of people turn out for that one. Um, and it's nice that, you know, the Murray family are being, uh, you know, honoured as well with uh, the name of that trophy. We also had a little bit of coaching news. We've had uh, Sven Gronveld uh, announce that uh, he's going to be coaching Sloane Stephens. Um, and we've also had the news that Eugenie Bouchard has split from her coach, Mike Joyce. So a couple of bit of coaching news um, tidbits there. Um, I guess that brings us on to our final point, and and that's our kind of Madrid look forward. Uh, Madrid has been 
being played over the weekend. Yeah, actually, didn't actually, it's already doesn't started. actually start tomorrow. <laughs> starts this weekend. We've already had yeah. some upsets. Muguruza lost uh, today. Um, I think Kuznets over beat. Uh, Vitalina's lost as well. I think she's gone out. So uh, yeah, lots going on already. Kyrgios is playing doubles with Tomic, so you know there's going to be some interesting. Uh, yeah, and he's already lost in singles. <laughs> so there's been a lot, lots, lots happening. Um, we'll obviously be coming back with our Madrid catch up next week, uh, looking back on both the ATP and WTA sides. But um, in the meantime, hope you have enjoyed the podcast. If you want to follow more of the passing shots, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at passing shot pod but until next time thanks for listening and goodbye When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.